Welcome to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show, where we talk about the business of sports and media and disruption and all different kinds of things. I'm Joe Favorito, along with my co-host, Tom Richardson. Tom, here you are. Welcome Hi, back. Joe. How are you feeling, Tom? I'm feeling good. And you know why? Because spring has sprung yep. in New York City. Campus is looking amazing. The air feels good. College basketball is over. And I think we've made it through the winter once again in New York. We did. And we've made it through the... We've made it through college basketball. And an entire cycle of the Alliance of American Football, as a matter of fact. (laughs) Right. We've we've watched a whole other league start and and fold. And um, for those of us who uh, mark our calendars in the sports world by big events, this is a big one. This podcast will be coming out after the Masters, but it's this week. I thought you were going to say PBR in Las Vegas. <laughs> no, the Masters starts, well, it actually yeah. technically started the pre-events, mm-hmm. but this is the big week. But I've always thought of that as the official beginning of spring on the sports calendar. And then for those of us who like basketball, we've got the NBA playoffs, which I think are one of the highlights of the sports year as well. And the NHL playoffs. And NHL for the hockey fans. Yeah, for those. There. I'm spending yeah. more time on basketball personally, but whatever. Anyway, <coughs> whatever is right. <laughs> So, Tom, we have a guest today, um, and it's when you talk about the people who've been around our program, and we've had so many of our alumni, faculty, friends of the program on, we keep saying, why don't we have LJ on? Yes. We've been wanting to do this for three years, right, exactly. literally. LJ was supposed to be the first guest, as a matter of fact, I think. So. Anyway. It only took us three years to, to work this out. So, LJ Holmgren, for anybody who's been around the Columbia program, uh, has been one of the staples. She is probably one of the first emails or voices that you get when you apply. When you show up not knowing anything, LJ is sitting in the office and she hopes to answer your questions. When you're going through your schedule, LJ is the one who tries to answer your questions. Uh, when you have questions about the Jets or small children, LJ is there to answer those questions. <laughs> I would actually say more than a staple, she's a pillar. Pillar. She's a pillar several of this pillars, program. as a matter of fact. Yeah, very if you good walk pillar. by the library, there are several pillars. <laughs> right. LJ has two. I think it's I think it's like Homer, Aristotle, Holmgren. Mm-hmm. I think they're gonna change that etching. Wow, guys. All right, now yeah. that we've warmed wow. warm welcome. <laughs> yeah. So welcome, welcome LJ. LJ. Apparently I bring something new to the table for this <laughs> yes. podcast, and I'm happy to do so and bring the best out of both of you yeah. today. Well, it's always we're it's, very jocular today, as a matter of fact. Yes. Right. And um, uh, I, I will just echo what Joe said because I remember when we started this, going back to late 2015, uh, you were one of the first people we talked to about it, and you encouraged us and helped us get it going. With uh, and then we left you for three years and came back. <laughs> right. so. I'm here, guys. It's okay. That's yeah. what so I like to be. This is payback time. That's what I like to be. Yeah. So now you get to tell the LJ story yep. for and, posterity. Yep. And in all seriousness, LJ, why don't you kind of walk us through kind of how you got here from. You know, upstate New York to St. John's to, I guess, the Harvard first time, Yard. Harvard Yard, right? Um, ha- the cat. The first time <laughs> that, um, I guess, you ha- you heard from, was it Vince? Vince, Vince. brought you in? Yeah, Vince, Vince Gennaro brought you in? Uh, and kind of your, your growth really into someone who really lives and breathes everything that goes on in the program. Sure. I think for me, the time where I wanted to start my career in sports, I always wanted to be around sports. I was fortunate enough to take a sports marketing class in high school. So I designed a brochure, and that was it. And using design or Photoshop skills, paint back then, was <laughs> something right. that I was wow. like, I'm not going to be the graphic designer, but yeah. I like the content of what I'm putting into this. So I knew it was it. I flipped a coin with looking at colleges and was like, I'm going to go science route or business route. And depending on which school I got into and which one I chose, which ultimately was SUNY Cortland and their sports management program, I went the business route. And kinesiology went by the wayside uh, to the dismay of my advisors who were looking for more females in that space as well. I went into the business side of things and, and I knew it was a right fit. I felt confident in it. I started to find out which topics interested me and those were always marketing, uh, branding, sponsorship. But college athletics is really where I found my niche. I, but wait, well, but oh, just let me inter- quickly sure. ask because this is interesting. So most most people don't get to take a sports class in high school. Right. You did. Mm-hmm. So did that interest in that original class actually stem from being a sports fan or a sports-minded person or an athlete or whatever? Absolutely, yeah. Sport, I've been around sports my whole life. Oh. I would say I'm always the team player. That's a value I hold true. I build communities around me, whether here or in any other role I've been. Mm-hmm. And so even if I wasn't at the top of my game, I think of lacrosse specifically and track, I was a three-sport athlete, but I wasn't always the top of my game. And so sports being in my life as a player was important. 
and always watching as a fan. I actually am pissed at my brother because we were Rangers fans growing up, and now he's an Islander fan. I don't know when how we switched. That I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how yeah, that, that switched. That doesn't happen no. very often. I had a Ranger starter, scrunchy. I'm. Where's that loyalty? Where did it change, <laughs> Mike? You pulled it out from under the rug from out from under me. But yeah, sports were always in our lives. My parents are actually not big sports fans. Dad liked baseball, sure, but for me, it was really understanding more and. If I wanted to learn sports, the ins and outs, the stats, I had to really self, I was self-taught then. And the business side really attracted me and marketing and understanding how we could get to a customer base. I have humble beginnings in that, working in retail and in delis. How do you get to the customer? How do you speak to the customer? So when I look at my career trajectory, I think always reaching out and engaging and finding a way to connect is naturally fitting with who I am. So when I look at these places and going into a business that has high affinity towards a specific team, that makes sense with me Mm -hmm. or a brand loyalty. Mm -hmm. So what was the first break after Cortland to get into the business? It it was two. As a student, I was a operations manager for the events there, D3 school, top sports in the country. Mm -hmm. So we hosted many NCAA championships. So I was able to work with more than just our school and league but also see how this made it on a national scale. I loved college athletics in that space, but then working through the deli, I wound up meeting a a person at ESPN in the productions department. So I was a stats runner for ESPN for Mets games, Yankees games, and uh, Red Sox games when I went up to Boston. So describe that as a stats runner, because this is probably a position that has been lost in in the evolution of our digital business. So, so, so describe what you used to do at those games. Yeah, it was a 14-hour commitment for maybe $50, right. I don't know. Not $50 an hour, $50. $50, $50, right. $50 stipend. They give you a meal. They expense mm-hmm. my meal, which is great. <coughs> and you'd show up at the ballpark. You get to know most of the people in the production trucks, and they're running cables, and you're learning the routes. Where are the cameras positioned in each park? making sure you understand where you can and cannot go. So stats need to get to the locker room. As a woman, I can't go into the clubhouse and and get that access. So making sure I had um, advocates on my behalf that I knew the locker room attendant or knew people that could bring the stats to where they needed to be. So I I did that, and I got to know uh, how television was produced and how it was put out there. So Mm. best place to put the satellite, make sure that it's positioned and you're able to broadcast what you're seeing. I thought I was going to be a bug operator, to be honest, because I saw careers and you know I was what like, a bug oh. Operator is? No, I don't. Go ahead, tell me. <laughs> so the bug is the, the, the clock, the score, thing. the yeah, logo, yeah. and you are the person that are updating the information on the back end. Now I'm sure okay. data and it's algorithms just yeah. automated. Yeah. Yeah. But there was a person who was creating the bug and putting the bug in the lower left. But the stats running was like literally getting Paper. from a statistician. Yeah. Paper. And bring it to another location. Paper from the truck, printed, <laughs> have a stack. You have to right. get quickly to the cameras in the outfield, to the camera right outside the dugouts. That's funny. Um, I was on the field when a Big Poppy set records. So I was standing there right on the sidelines because I just run stats there. You can't really leave. It's disrespectful. Right. So I got to meet some big people, big athletes in the game, because I carried paper back and forth from a truck. <laughs> So you weren't using an iPhone? No, no. My flip phone at the time yeah. I had with me. That's so if classic. this was like 100 years ago, we'd be sitting here and LJ would be saying, really? I was a blacksmith once. Really? So, so, That's the way so, the information was shared yeah. in like World War One, I, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Carrier pigeon. Yeah. So, so you go from being a stats runner, you finish school at, at Cortland, mm-hmm. um, and then what happens? I took an operations position in the athletics department at Harvard. The amazing thing. Which is a normal path from Cortland to Harvard, by the way. Everybody makes that Everyone job. does that. Yeah. Sure. Everyone does that. I was in the operations department for my boss, Dwayne Reed, at the time. Uh, and he, it was his first year. There were two interns and two full-timers running sports for 41 different mm-hmm. teams. And the amazing part of that is you were very independent Looking back on it, very scary part is I've had some challenges facilities-wise. If the lights went out, what did I do? I would have been there all by myself, 21 years old at Harvard, trying to figure out how this soccer game is going. But my sports, soccer, both soccers, hockey, everyone worked football, had lacrosse in the spring. So I got to see some amazing action. And through Harvard, 
continued working with different organiz- sports organizations in the Boston area. So I worked for the Boston Cannons and the Lobsters, World Team Tennis. World Team Tennis. And yeah. the Cannons are in uh, MLL, Major MLL, League Lacrosse. Major League Lacrosse. Yeah. So I would be their Harvard point person and operations person on those nights to help wow. them facilitate the games. We had uh, the Williams sisters come in. They played for Philadelphia for tennis. Philadelphia Freedoms. Big indoor game. Brought mm-hmm. them in and handled all the fans, the crowds, and brought them on their way out. So yeah. what what key skills were you developing in that job, ultimately, looking back on it? Uh, Beyond the teamwork aspect, which I know is really These are the gotcha questions, Tom. No, I, honestly, I am a very organized person. We hadn't noticed. <laughs> <laughs> so organizing an event project management. I went into capital planning while I was at St. John's and facilities renovation. All of those things required different channels that feed back into the larger goal. So economics for me stood out the second they said, here's microeconomics and here's macroeconomics. Mm -hmm. So a micro perspective versus a macro perspective, I learned how to switch my brain easily. Mm -hmm. So how does working this one game impact the whole season, impact the team, impact the culture for the players on the field? the fans, and bring all of it together. Mm-hmm. So you're at Harvard for how long? How many years? One year. One year. Yep. Okay. One year full-time internship. Um, Paid. And did you feel like this at this point you were actually on a path, or are you still kind of feeling your way along as to what it is you wanted to do? I knew then leaving Cortland, I wanted to be a senior women's administrator and mm. an associate athletic director in a, in a college, okay. a big college. Um I've changed. I've totally changed path. So how did we get here? We'll get that to that in a second. Yeah, we'll so, so, so you, you're there for, at Harvard, and then you go to? Boston College. Staying in Boston. Yep. Jean Filippo, the athletic mm-hmm. director there. I interviewed with a uh, the head of facilities, Joe Shirley, for a full-time job, and didn't get it. Didn't have a master's. So mm-hmm. at the advice of, the, of him, I was offered a position with a senior associate athletics director, Tom Peters, and I was then in administration and supported operations as well. Mm-hmm. So being in, in administration, we were planning things like the East Regional that was hosted in Boston in 09, yeah, 09, and working to plan all the logistics, the travel, the bus route, making sure all the details of the plan and proposal were submitted, and then ultimately got to go back and work there. My boss was the administrator for hockey, and it was a peak year at Boston College that year. Matt Ryan was the quarterback in his senior year, so that was that exciting. Was the big e- that was the Big East, correct? ACC. ACC at that point? Yeah. Wow. ACC. So, big year for them. The men's and women's soccer team, incredible. Uh, the fencing did well. Swimming and diving was doing well. And then I went into hockey season, and my administrator was the, admin- the game administrator for men's and women's hockey. And men's hockey won the national championship that year. Wow. So seeing how all of that put together was amazing. Um, but one year internship again, and then back out there trying mm-hmm. to figure out what was next. How did you, when you were living there, Harvard and then BC, obviously an expensive city, mm-hmm. um, how did you kind of put together the non-work stuff? Ah, yeah. I worked in a gym. I worked at the Harvard gym mm-hmm. from 5 in the morning, 5.45. I think we opened it up five in the morning to eight and then I'd go over to BC and then whenever I could I'd pick up a night or a weekend shift around BC was usually around 75 hours a week honestly so I'd piece together that and then I squeezed in an economics class at Boston College because if they're going to let you take a class at a top institution why not Mm -hmm. so just tried to balance it lived with three sometimes four roommates at a great little place in Somerville and it's changing the green line is extending Mm -hmm. but Paid, uh, paid reasonable rent of my paid salary and pieced together the gym, paid for my cell phone and for little things that I wanted to do whenever I could. But I worked so much that I really didn't have a yeah, life outside of work. Right, right. Right. So then what, what happened after that? I had a conversation with Gene Filippo. There was a position open and he said to me, you don't let good ships sit in a harbor. So I need you to go down to St. John's. In Boston, that's very appropriate. As it is very appropriate, yeah. yeah. So. He said, I need you to go down to St. John's and take this opportunity where you can be a facilities manager and try new things, spread your wings. You could always come back. I mm. couldn't come back. I knew that. But he was right and went. 
explore the area of facilities, which I had been around and exposed to in both of my previous two positions, and quickly became the assistant athletic director for facilities and operations, and then overall the director of the program in a short period of time while at St. John's, which led to a whole new area of putting that organization to the test of union labor, but we got to get the baseball field dragged in the seventh inning, but no one's going to stay. So mm. can we work with the union to drag the baseball field ourselves? This was on campus, correct? On campus, yep. yep. Mm-hmm. And then we, we, were you involved with the relationship between, on the basketball side, between the Garden and St. John's in terms of logistics, operations, all those type of things? Supported game day, but they are a fully mm. operational right. unit on their mm. own. So they didn't really need our help, but we mm. supported in any way we could and started planning uh, when they hosted the East Regional as well. My role really... Plan, worked on capital planning, spaces at a premium here and there. So how do we maintain what we have using the budgets that we have and the resources that we have, knowing that capital planning really needs to be thought through, that you're not just replacing the turf, the track, the lacrosse field, but you need to make sure the machinery, the equipment, the five-year-out plan of what mm. it will take to, to keep this resourced and moving along is included in that initial bid and request. And that was what I was working on, budgets and asking for millions of dollars to renovate this or to upgrade that and work through the actual project management of it. Is there a bias in college athletics, which is an area I've never worked in, uh, toward individuals with college athletics experience? Because listening to you talk is making me think about how many kinds of jobs there are in that world of sports, which we tend not to talk about, frankly, that much. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in New York, because it's not a big college sports market, so to speak. Um, But I also get the sense that kind of you're in that club of college sports, you're in that club. Is that true or not true? For me, personally, I... Well, obviously, you got in early. You got in first. I got in early. Yeah. I got in early. I worked through the long hours, the nights, weekends, uh, the craziness of the schedule. The culture is amazing. You're with the same group of people that you love and hate just like you would brothers and sisters growing up because you spend so much time with them. Coaches, you hate them one minute, but you're hugging them after a win or consoling them after a loss. But uh, for me, I find the challenges that now as as it's becoming professionalized, the worlds still need to adapt. So you're there, you're there. You're there Monday through Friday, nine to five, but then you're there nights and weekends. That's not sustainable. And for me, that's not sustainable. So that was the hard part. And then you're starting to see how do we get these big name athletic directors? Because that is where the spotlight mm-hmm. on the industry mm-hmm. is. You're usually seeing them come from a parallel space and the skills that they need are transferable and then they come in. Mm-hmm. So for me, I was thinking, well, it's not a, a bad thing to depart from this industry instead of working my way up the top, gain additional skills that could really impact and change this area of this of right. intercollegiate. What about for, for young people breaking in? I mean, would there be a bias, do you think, like when you used to hire or see hiring being done at St. John's and BC, for example, would they want people that did internships or somehow got themselves into the college space? I think they're looking for experience yeah. or someone that's really willing to dive in and do what it takes yeah. for those athletes on the field. Right, and a willingness to, to work really hard in terms of the hours and the commitment. Absolutely. Yeah. It's that that's a in my mind, it's not written anywhere, but that's a non starter. If you're yeah. not able to commit to the hours, yeah, how can you do your job? How many hours per week do you think is typical, like for some of those jobs you had or some of the people you worked with? A light week, you're always understaffed. I feel like there's never enough resources. Yeah. A light week would probably be 50, 60 hours yeah. upwards to if you're talking championships or this crossover between fall, winter. And winter, spring, 75, 80. Yeah. It's a lot of fields. Well, so, it's also yeah. it's also a dividing line for people. Sure. Three baseball games in a weekend? You know how much yeah. dirt and clay I had all over me? <laughs> Three pairs of khakis <laughs> right. I need. Come on. Right. Or a tournament that you're going through or something. Right. Yeah. It's Fencing. Crazy. Fencing was grueling. You got to roll out paper to protect the basketball court. Then you got to roll out the copper strips and they're heavy. You gotta I take just show the only thing that comes close are the people that work for sports like baseball. I would say minor league team people, minor league yeah. people, or even pro baseball. When you have a homestand, that's I don't know, mm-hmm. eight games, yeah. and you're literally at the ballpark every day. Yeah, uh, for you have to love your job. Yeah, so and that's so different than what I'd call the mainstream part of the business, where people work hard, 
but not like that. My Typically. 22nd birthday, I was at Harvard, and my boss was kind enough. Flowers were on my desk, but it was at on my desk at 4 in the morning because we had seven sports that day. Where do you find fresh flowers at 4 a.m.? Probably bought them the night before. I mean, he's a prepared man. Yeah. But the day was, it started at 5 in the morning to get the signs out for football. And then mm. there were so, there, Ivies take over the place. So mm. whoever came to town came to town. We played them in soccer, volleyball, played them in soccers. And I'm sorry, I said that. And then football at the end of the day. Occasionally in the overlap, you get hockey thrown in there too. Mm. All right, so tell the story how you made it to Manhattan. Yeah. In the Upper West Side. Yeah. So it's I, a long trip from Queens. Yeah. In between St. John's and Columbia, I took a project management role with a company, NCG Visuals. They've now been acquired by a larger company, but the graphics project management was exactly the skill they needed, and that's what I did. I managed projects for them for sports and non-sports clients during the New York-New Jersey Super Bowl. So jumped in. They had more work than I bet they could have ever imagined. Their typical point person was doing all that he could do. And I jumped in and helped with things, projects like the NFL offices, who make sure that the branding is changed for the Super Bowl when they were typically in hotels. But now it's in their backyards. They're bringing everyone into the offices, which Mm. used to be a ghost town. Let's get the branding right. Let's make sure the the marks are here, Mm -hmm. the teams are here. So I did that. They also did activations in the city with the Children's Museum of Manhattan. So they did this officials and clinic. Uh, They took over. They made a whole visual uh, tour and they had little tables where you could build your own flags or you could play with the pylons and run in between them all at the Children's Museum. So now, all of that required. So was that while you were at St. John's or you had left St. John's? At that this point? is the 10 month gap between the, mm. the two spaces. Once that was over, my friend had seen the posting here and said, you have a lot of the skills that are needed for this program and this job description. Painting fields. Consider it. Yeah. Organization, right. project management, right. Right. Um, really handling the day-to-day operations, mm-hmm. but then also the industry experience that can be applied. Mm-hmm. So I applied. Five months later, I started <laughs> Five the longest yeah. interview process ever. <laughs> Why doesn't that surprise Apparently, me? it was worth it. Yeah. And I started with no instructions, and we have classes that we're building. You were building the class for the very first time. That was right when we were becoming full-time, or we were full-time at that point? We had just accepted that first full-time class right. in 2014. So that was 2014? Tom was launching his first yeah. digital media and marketing mm-hmm. class With in LJ's spring. With LJ's help, yeah. Yeah. That was like a four. So your interview process was five months, and then my syllabus process was four months. Yeah, Maybe, maybe four much, and a half. Pretty yeah. much. And that's, we got right up to today. <laughs> so. And now we're here. So um, you get here, and obviously this is a similar skill set, but a different job. Mm-hmm. How were you able to adapt skills that you had to what you're doing now? I'm a quick read, so I typically need to understand what the themes and the strategies are, and then I will get up to speed with everything that needs to be uh, understood for that area. So, for Mm -hmm. example, digital media marketing, of course I paid attention to it, but it was on the fringe of my worldview. But now it was very much front and center. And so if I'm going to engage with these industry leaders and respect them, and by industry leaders I mean our faculty – how do I make sure I'm conversational at a minimum about their space? And how do I dive deep? So any reading material I could bring in, the time, I consumed it all. Anything mm-hmm. and everything. Yeah. And how, um, uh, take us through a little bit of kind of what you do. I mean, a lot of people aren't going to know. They're going to hear your voice or get an email from you or cross paths an event like you were at the World Congress last week. Um, what exactly, you know, what are some of the things that you like to do? What are some of the biggest challenges you have? Sure. Some of the leaving my, Scott out of the conversation, actually. So, leaving yeah. him out. Yeah. Oh, poor yeah. Scott. So. Sorry, Scott. You're on vacation, and you're already forgotten. Yeah. Um, I would say it's making sure that faculty have understood how what they learned in their jobs, in their roles, in their specific industry, can be translated to a curriculum in the classroom. That's probably one of the best and most challenging things that I do in this job. And I talked to Tom is a great example. I'll use someone else if we don't need to. But he's been so up to speed with everything digital. He's a voice in the industry. How has education changed? How can he maximize the tools available to bring this content to the students? Mm -hmm. I talk about that all the time because the educational space has changed from the brief time that I've even been introduced to it. How educational technology 
is changing by the minute. So now you can engage with your students on a topic and have a discussion with them while they're on the subway and they can engage in the class and still be taking micro bits of information and putting it towards the conversation for their grade or to inform the next project and better Mm -hmm. understand what they're learning and actually applying it. Mm -hmm. So we have a class, Business Intelligence, we're working on now. It is launched. We worked on it in the fall of 2018. We launched it in spring. We have Russell Scabetti from Core Software leading it, and it's exactly that. We want to teach them so much. Tableau. We want to teach them analytics for looking at specific areas of the industry. What's your ticketing strategy? What's your CRM strategy? But you have 14 classes to do this in. And so the challenge is, what's the puzzle? How do we put the pieces together? And then how do we effectively deliver that to the students so that they understand that this puzzle is what we say it is? And that's that's what I find the best about my job. Yeah, and this is a topic you and I have talked about quite a bit, but also we've had to live through the grueling evolution of the teaching. Uh, what's the what's the acronym they use for teaching management system or teaching learning? Learning management. LMS. 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 Yeah, right. They love their so acronyms. I started on uh, Blackboard mm-hmm. back at Iona. And then I think I graduated into, uh, I think NYU used either Blackboard or Canvas and then Canvas. But one of the complaints I had with you early on, I mean, not with you, yeah, but yeah. Uh, as we talked about this challenge of becoming more digital and employing these kinds of tools and resources that were there, is that the user experience, getting back to our digital uh, view of the world, was in many cases really bad. Mm-hmm. And so the students weren't engaging on it. So you could kind of try to force the issue but the experience was really at odds with the way digital media was being presented to young people. And I used to remember uh, having conversations with you about saying, when will they fix this uh, section of the software or when will they improve this module? It seems like it's gotten a lot better. Can you talk about that a little bit more? So talk about some of the the unique things that are being done right now, like the video responses and things like that, the stuff that you've been espousing now quite vocally for a few years. Yeah. When we look at the classroom, it's now we have one hour, 50 minutes each week with our students. How do we engage them and how do we engage them outside of this? So having the discussion today is how do we extend the conversation? So there's a the lights are still on after they've left the class and they don't just forget everything that they did discreetly in this one snapshot of time, but that they continue on on Tuesday, Wednesday after you've left them with this information, not just check the box assignments. Mm -hmm. So it's a, maybe it's a discussion post to continue the conversation. Bring in your own content and media. So we've talked about, uh, you talk about fantasy sports was a big topic. And now it's evolved to gaming. And uh, then it moved to, of course, social media has been present the whole time. Now it's gambling. So these big topics that happen every week, what's your large overlaying theme of the course? How do these big topics fit into each week? But then from that micro perspective, how do these events that occur daily in the sports world, the news, how do we keep up with them without hijacking what we're trying to do Mm -hmm. each week? Mm -hmm. And so for you, that's where we think of you have a Twitter handle, using technology to our advantage, Um, using a discussion board post to say, bring in content. What's in your world? What's the news? Because it may not fit into that classroom time. No, you're right. And the other other thing I've pointed out, uh, again, something you and I have discussed and I feel very strongly about is that Discussion boards can be really valuable for in two ways. Number one, just to share information because we're all trying to share information. Mm-hmm. Number two, it gives students a chance to learn how to express themselves and develop that fluency in each of these topics that is really critical. Mm-hmm. And it oftentimes can be suppressed a little bit in the classroom just due to time limitations or even just personal style. Some people are more vocal mm-hmm. in classroom studies, others are less. So as I often remind the students, is that the discussion board is a really wonderful way to kind of practice your craft. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you discuss esports or a, a, an issue around sports technology? Well, just, you know, you kind of do it in a friendly environment of a discussion board. It doesn't have to be perfect, but it gives you a chance to kind of flex that muscle or develop that muscle a little bit, sure. which will then help you in the marketplace, hopefully, and also in interviews. Well, in the marketplace, every position has value. Right. So you're an expert. I might be a novice in this space, but what is my opinion? How do I learn this information? How approachable is this area? And how do I consume content? And so if we're all talking about different ways that we can do that, we can get on a level playing field. But that's what marketers are trying to do at the end of the day. How do they take the, those that are their brand loyalists and those that they want to 
move up the pyramid and get them engaged in a, in a right. better fashion. So that's the same approach I take in the classes in my mind. It's how do you move them up the ladder to become proficient to speak about esports, but maybe they're a whiz at social media. Right, right. How do you get um, recalcitrant faculty Oof. to buy in? Very Ivy League. We won't mention any, any names. <laughs> I think it's meeting them where they are, always. Okay. So finding out and making suggestions that I think would work with their class giving them options that they can choose. Some of it is intimidating so that they choose one of them. <laughs> so intimidation the part, is one of the options. Yeah, well, you guys said that. Um, but it's really making sure that this is their class. They're the experts. I'm not the expert in this field, but here are tools that we can effectively deliver your message. Mm-hmm, right. For some of our faculty, we have, we have diversity. We have diversity of thought. Um, we have different perspectives. We have global students. So bringing that all together, making sure that there is a a connection point and I can be the conduit to make sure that happens, that's my role, is to make sure that you as the digital person who might be fascinated by millennials and Generation Z and other faculty that are not so easy to connect them, how are we able to put them all in the same room Let's and make sure that there's names. value? No, I'm just kidding. no, but there is value in everyone and that's what I tell the students, but that's what I tell the faculty. There's value in our student perspective and their global perspective and their individual stories. Right, and I just want to add one more sure. thing, Joe, if you don't mind, because, um, again, picking up on that topic, is that um, Joe and I know this because we know other faculty both here and at other schools, and you know plenty of faculty at other schools as well, is that there are a lot of great adjuncts who have literally never been taught how to teach. Mm-hmm. So they've been successful um, in their business careers, and they've been good as managers in most cases, They've been industry. Um, I always I don't like to use the word experts, but they're they're quite proficient in their area of knowledge. Um, but they've never actually never been taught how to teach. Correct. And I took this thing a couple years ago that um, reflective teaching seminar, and I learned about the concept of backwards course design, which is something yeah. I really want you to explain because I think that's an, <laughs> a really good topic, not just for faculty to think about, but I talked to the students about it because it's a really yeah. interesting perspective on the value, I think, of this kind of professional studies environment? The best way to describe backwards course design is to think about what people do in their everyday jobs. Sometimes they're storyboarding. Sometimes they're just rifting off other people to get ideas and work through what they're trying to accomplish. And other times it's design thinking, which is now the latest buzzword. But it's really mapping out the what are the objectives and how do they link to what we're teaching through the assessments so i have an objective in digital for our students to be able to become proficient in xyz areas what's demonstrating that through their assignments i think the temptation for faculty to come in uh, in an adjunct space you're working all day you're like i wanted to get them to work on this cool project they're going to design a brand new stadium Chances are most are not going to do that. Um, <laughs> I don't know that our skill, our program's teaching them to design that. But what activity can they do that is creative, that allows them to demonstrate the skills that they will need for this job so then if they want to put that on their resume, they've taken a tangible skill or tool away from this class. So when we look at backwards design, it can be considered, how do I give my students reading material or are they tweeting before a class? Are they researching the major events for Joe, for you, for for communications and PR, what major events are happening? Because if you can't plan and see ahead of what the calendar looks like, how do you best report on Mm -hmm. what happened? Mm -hmm. Taking that same principle and putting in the classroom. So what do they need to know before class? What do they need to know during class? And how do we give them the right assessment activities? So for example, maybe this, this class discussion makes sense with smaller groups. Maybe this makes sense with a... A recorded visual video presentation because that's now a skill in interviews you want to work at the MLS they're gonna record you so how are we good at putting those skills in the process of a class for me the backwards thinking is what's our end goal what's a tangible marketable skill that a student can use in a career and then we work backwards to infuse it through the curriculum right so so an example could be like one of the things in mind is uh, Developing digital fluency, I think, or mm-hmm. something like I think I forget how we phrased it. Um, but this idea of knowing the right language to use, to write, know the right acronyms, to mm-hmm. write, know the key concepts, the names of them, how to use them properly, that's really important. And so I, I guess if, if, so if, we, if you and I agree building the syllabus that that's a key learning objective, 
then we might say, well, how do you assess for that? We'll let them write, do a prompt mm -hmm. on an issue of the day and see if they're using the right language, mm -hmm. right? Is that, yeah, that absolutely. The idea? So you yeah. kind of just, it's kind of like reverse engineering the outcome. Yeah, honestly, you you lead them, you teach them what they need to know without them feeling like they've been taught, honestly. Okay, that's a good way and to say it. it's yeah. influencing them to let them come up with the same decision with the outcome that you need and that they really need to show the results in a different fashion. For you, a test works too. If you need to know right. these acronyms, you need to know what OTT is, right. look it up if you don't know. Um, but Or listen to the Hopefully podcast. By now most um, but if you need to know that, then why, why don't we test on that? But yeah. testing them on other abstract ideas does not work, yeah. will not work. Yeah. And it's interesting hearing the two of you talk about um, a business that we're involved with and really the best coaches are really good teachers. Mm -hmm. But one of the beauties of our program, and I'd like to hear your opinion in the, the few minutes that we have left on this, is we, we, unlike other programs that you could take, whether in graduate school or as an undergraduate, our program is really a living, breathing thing that people see every day. Mm -hmm. And how do you kind of read the room, um, and, and Tom's gone through this, and Ray Katz has had his program redone, my program's changed, it's going to re be redone again. How, how do you convince people who've been doing something, even whether they've been teaching or in a business for a long time, that they need to kind of look introspectively and kind of refresh what they're doing? The refresh thing is obviously extremely important in business, mm -hmm. but how, how do you help them translate that into making sure that our classes across the board are top of the notch and, and kind of important to what's going on today for the skills that students need? Good question. Yeah. Well, I look at you as your professionals in your industry. And when you see what we're asking you, like, for example, if we're looking at an activity and we're saying, Joe, what skills does someone in PR need? And you're going to say, they need to be great writers. They need to be effective communicators, but they need to be organized and efficient with their time so they can put these mm -hmm. this information out there quickly. So I need to trust on those things. So building that writing skill set in the beginning, we know that that's a skill and a major need. We got to have smaller activities that are testing their writing along the way and services to provide for it's not working. They can't write. How do we make sure they're using Grammarly, the writing center, to build that up if this is what they want to do? But then you see that. That makes sense to you. So for me, that's not putting in anything new. It's just thinking about it as to say, you've always valued writing, Joe, but how do we look at it from making sure that we're assessing them quickly and with smaller low stakes assignments to build their confidence to get better? Mm -hmm. Then you can measure for speed. Right. Are you able to translate this into a tweet? A few times I've tweeted for the program, oh, it's painstaking for me because I'm like, this is going out to a lot of people. Right. right. This is going out on behalf of our program. Am I, am I following the account to hashtag them? That's not quick enough these right. days. Right. But I know the importance of it, so I need to get better. I'm not fast enough. Yeah. But if that's a skill, then how do we get them to feel comfortable to, to speed up? Mm -hmm. And then what are some of the, um, not just since you've been involved in our program, but across the board from when you started in this business, what are some of the skills that you've seen that have either stayed the same or have changed whether you are starting out in business or whether you're just starting out in a, in a graduate program? The demand for tangible skills is higher than I've seen. So, Me Meaning what? Meaning a student says, I want analytics. What does analytics mean to yeah, people? Yeah, it's a big word. Mm -hmm. Analytics can be broken down into statistics. You can start looking at demographics, which is a we're continuing down the pathway of that. So that's analytics, right? But then they want to be able to create a model. What does a model mean? Mm -hmm. Can it be a formula in Excel? Does it mean I need to be proficient in Excel or a whiz at Excel? People think that these buzzwords, that they need to be able to capitalize on this and know the software, know the technology behind it. And that is where, for some people... They've not had to do the analysis work, the digging deep, because in their careers, they've moved past that in life. Mm -hmm. They can interpret data quickly. Mm -hmm. But this group of students, this generation, is insecure about that aspect because they know that they're the doers now. And so if I'm getting out there, I had to learn how to drag that baseball field by practicing a lot. If I need to storytell with data, I need to know how to get that insight. And... That, I think, is the harder part for them to get there. How do I get my hands on, if I'm going to run a social media account, how do I get my hands on Facebook analytics or mm -hmm. Twitter analytics to be able to know what I'm looking for to share with my boss? Mm -hmm. 
Do we have Twitter analytics in our classes? Do we have access to them from a company? That's the hardest part. Mm-hmm. So it's really a tangible still. You can teach me how to tweet, but who teaches me how to interpret what's trending, how to create a quick report and summarize that with to my to my boss? Same thing with analytics. Do I need R? Do I need to use uh, do I need to scrape data for something from the web? And then if I do, how do I do that once the program? Right. So now you're not only teaching the topic, the idea, you're teaching you're going down the rabbit hole of proficiency in specific programs. Right. Are we? At- I, I will add, if you don't mind, I'll add yeah. to that answer because I, I, I think uh, this is a pretty good approach too in the career conversations and then is to be very diligent about studying job descriptions. So let's say you're generally interested in the world of sponsorship in sports, mm-hmm. which is another big word. Correct. It's a lot of implications of what that yeah. is. So, so break it down. Hopefully in the program they know Everybody knows, well, there's brand-side sponsorship. Mm-hmm. You work at Nike or you work at Budweiser, whatever. And then there's property sponsorship. I mean, there's all kinds of sponsorship. Yeah. So if you actually go uh, out and do the research of looking at job specifications, a representative sampling of job specs from the different parts of the industry, and actually look at the requirements and discern between hard skills and soft skills, which are usually quite discernible, mm-hmm. um, you can start finding patterns on the hard skill side okay. that will be evident uh, if, if you do enough research. And you're like, oh my God, like I'm a young person who wants to be in marketing and sponsorship. It's like, I guess I really need to know how to do PowerPoint really well, which is something not everybody necessarily right. equates immediately with sponsorship, but that's right. a big deal doing deal. presentations and having really good PowerPoint skills or the like uh, could be a key... This, uh, factor in getting an internship or an entry-level job. Well, I totally agree with you, but when these students get down the list and they start seeing SQL, Power BI, uh, specific ticketing software, right. Right. that's daunting because is, how yeah. do you access that information right. and how do you learn about that if it's not part of your curriculum? Right. And you can't fake it, by the way. No, well, but I would, but I would actually distinguish because I've been in conversations on this very point between what I'd call uh, kind of... Um, essential hard skills that you that, that are more binary. Like, do yeah. you know how to speak Mandarin? Well, most of us, the <laughs> answer is no, so that's a binary no. Do you know Google Analytics? Well, not really, but if you spend this weekend and do 10 hours sure. worth of tutorials, sure. you will know Google Analytics pretty easily. Yeah, but we're scratching the surface. Pa- PowerPoint, right. I can ask anyone in this room right. who you know PowerPoint. Right. Can anyone, that, those are table stakes. Can, now, anyone, Microsoft can anyone write HTML code? Tom can. In a blog setting, maybe. Right. In a blue moon. And so those things are, okay, so if we can't, how do I, how do you point me in the right direction of resources? Right. That's but, where... But, but, but you know, I, mean, I know that's just, you used that as an yeah. example, but that's not an essential skill anymore, doing HTML code. I, I don't um, know. I, I For most jobs I've come across. But they're looking for these acronyms, and how do I get those Right, but I guess what, that's what I'm saying. So if you can just determine between what I call the essential yeah. uh, binary hard skill uh, which are usually more dramatic and obvious. Can you program in Android? Well, mm-hmm. if you don't know how to do it, then you can't apply you for the job, right? right? But if they ask for something that could be learnable out of the classroom with yeah. your own initiative, and there's a lot of examples in software because sure. of all the tutorials that are available, I, I've, I've told a lot of students to go actually do like Facebook, like for a job interview at Facebook, go study Facebook analytics. And yeah. at least you can say in the interview, I've never done it professionally, but I have a working knowledge and I will commit to learning how to master the Right, software. but you've never gotten the page feedback of what happens if the, the right. cusp show Facebook page, right. what that looks <laughs> right. like. And you don't have right. access to that. Right. They're pretty guarded with that information. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So, so LJ, in the last couple of minutes here, um, what do you, since you've been here, and what are some of the things that you look back and you say in your career, like, I can't believe I did that, um, <laughs> other than dragging the field? And then um, what are some of the things when someone comes to a program like this or a school like Harvard or St. John's that you tell them that they need to be able to do first? So your surprises and and the advice that you impart to people when they're looking for whatever's going to be next, especially in college athletics. I can't believe that I'm at a university every day and I walk out of here thinking, I don't know enough because there are so many smart people around you. There's so many topics that might pique your interest, but there's not enough time. And then yet, I can't believe when I walk into a room, I have the depth of knowledge to really talk about a topic and engage in a conversation beyond the surface level. Mm -hmm. 
that's what is I still wrap my head around sometimes is that my awareness of the industry because it's my job to pay attention to everything around the business now on the field on the court I'm struggling right now with time management but everything around the business I'm pretty sharp and I have an understanding I have a unique seat in the sports industry where it's my job to understand the different leagues teams brands and all of what they're doing in the sports ecosystem where sometimes when you work in a specific role brand league organization you have to focus on your current job and that is all you focus on so if my whole job is the the macro perspective the world view of sports I can't believe that 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 this is what I get to do every day Mm -hmm. and that I get to translate it down my advice for others that are considering this is I really think it's a matter of confidence and finding your niche area but not stopping there Mm -hmm. so we know that each of you have your specific areas each of our faculty have our specific areas but you're never going to trip them up on on a different topic that's close or nearby they're going to have depth in other areas not just the one that they're known for or the one that their brand carries the most recognition with and there's, I would say, adding to that, there's more overlap in the business than there's ever been. Absolutely. Uh, so having a good working knowledge of other businesses, and that's one really good experience about working uh, typically in a league or a team, mm-hmm. is that you have no choice but to do a lot of business with the other departments yep. every day. And that is, to me, one of the, one of the big benefits, uh, especially when you're younger in your career, doing something like that. That's a really good insight. Thank you. Tom, you want to take us home? Yes. So LJ has been dreading this question. The time has come, LJ. Here we go. How do you keep up? How do you stay smart? Other than by following Joe on Twitter. That's not the answer. (laughs) Groups. We need groups. Or lists. Lists. I have to say, I'm disappointed in Tom Richardson over here because he used to stop by my desk often and say, have you read this book? Brought me friction, uh, growth hacker marketing. Wow. Have you listened to this podcast? You're losing trying to show off. Here's Recode, right? (laughs) Have you followed this person on Twitter? Have you read this article? And here's a few. You're leaving LJ high and dry. He is. I'm I'm, I'm hoping this this, this ends better than it's starting. Um, No, but so (laughs) I keep up. (laughs) I have two little ones at home. I have a husband who's in sports. I try to keep up with the business every day. It's my job during the day. I'm fortunate enough that you get pushed a thousand newsletters. And I feel guilty if I delete one of them. So I'm trying to consume some content <laughs> from each of them. And they're checking to see if you delete them. Too. Oh, I know. We're checking yeah. everyone. But you're getting your, the sports biz emails in the morning, I assume, oh, the newsletters. Please. There's 20 newsletters throughout the day. <laughs> I just wrote about that. Right. I think I get yeah. all of them. Right. Maybe I'm missing one. So I get my a lot of my news about the sports business on through the newsletters pushed to me. I take the time to look at Is that. Is there a favorite one or two that you could cite for everybody? I, a sport techie always piques my interest. Right. Uh, hashtag is putting out good content. Mm-hmm. The uh, the topics I use for class, I would say from the global perspective, sport business comes to mind because they're always bringing out an international partnership mm-hmm. that's not really right. covered domestically. And then, of course, Sport Business Daily is, is a big one that pushes through, and we see multiple times the content that's being that's happening here. So that's how I stay current. I, I put the blame on you to come forward. Okay. I was telling Tom today, I don't have time to open Twitter. I'll get back there, but I find other ways, and usually through those newsletters. Yeah, and also, I mean, I think in, you're in these environments. You just, between the events you go to, the people you talk to, oh, you yeah. end up hearing a lot. We had a sports uh, so philanthropy a panel last week. Yeah. Learned a lot in that space. Yeah. CSR. Mm-hmm. No, when you think about the events yeah. we have yeah. uh, regularly, we're, we're, we're privileged. We are. Or the, or the people that come to the classroom. Yeah. And uh, this past month, I've been to Sloan. We went to oh, Madrid right. for our Real oh, yeah, so, Madrid. So yeah, I know we don't have a ton of time left, but just quickly, how was the Madrid trip? Just explain what it was. Uh, we took our students. We took 15 of our students. They went on a trip. They decided to spend their spring break with us in Madrid, and we worked with uh, Real Madrid and their university to bring content from their faculty and their front office staff to our students. So that global perspective, really making sure our students are aware of they, what their brand means globally, what their brand means to La Liga, and what their brand is doing in the United States here. Nice. So we were able to engage there. Their students will come here in June and learn from oh, our nice. faculty. I didn't know that. Okay. And our our practitioners as well. Yeah. So did, was it a success? Success. Yeah. First yeah. year. We're, nice. we're always going to try to improve. Did you grow. guys have some fun too? Some restaurants and tourism? Honestly, I got one run in a park. That was really my big... <laughs> I saw the Bernabeu. I saw the training facilities. That was amazing right. for me. I geeked did you out. Go to a, you went to a game too, right? I went to an Atletico uh, women's game. Right. 
record-setting attendance that day, wow. which was amazing. Which is what, just out of curiosity? 62,000 Wow, yeah. think about people. that, Joe. Yeah. And incredible. then I went to a Real Madrid basketball game. So oh, consumed a lot of sports, a lot of facilities, really everything about Madrid. I ran through around the park. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I cut my trip short to get home to my, my babies at home. Nice. Okay. Nice. And then LJ, last but not least, are you on Twitter? Where can they? Where can people follow you? I am on Twitter, um, LJ Holmgren. I'm on there. I'm usually liking some of our faculty's tweets. <laughs> is my big thing. I'm a big promoter of the people you're around gr- me. You're growing into it. Yeah, over the years, three years, it took me to grow into it. Growing pains, I'd like to call right. it. But I am on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me there, and you could always email me at. LH2748 at Columbia.edu. LH2748. All right. Here we go, Tom. That was awesome. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, I'm really glad we finally did this, and sorry it took so long. No, no problem. So I think um, we should get back to uh, get back, do another one, and I'd I'd love to explore more of the um, some of the new partnerships that the programs. We've talked about a little bit with Scott, Mm -hmm. but there's some really interesting stuff happening. And the external relationship side that we didn't really get to. Yeah, today. no, two and weeks we workshop with La Liga. We're excited. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, cool. Here we go. All right, so we'll we'll have to come back to that. Maybe we'll do one with uh, Scott LJ and, and LJ. Scott, and we'll talk about and the, the who's the other guy? Oh, Tom Cerny. Oh, he's sitting over oh, here. Oh, our EP. So, anyway, uh, maybe, maybe we should just let them do one. Yeah, you so, don't need me and show. You exactly. guys can just talk I mean, about guys, it. Guys, I was the producer on the Sloan podcast. I know. So That's just right. Saying. You now have a producer credit. That's yeah. right. So add that to your what appears to be like a five-page resume at this point. Mm. <laughs> so. Seven. That was great. <laughs> that was great. Thank you very much, yeah. LJ. So, guys, uh, you've been listening to LJ Holmgren. And what's the official title? I'm sorry. It's all right. Deputy Academic Director. Deputy. The deputy. Give me my badge. Wow. Where's deputy my gold LJ. star? With the badge on gold her. star. Blouse. Nice. Um... The program is really lucky to have you. We uh, professors and adjuncts and people in the program are really lucky to have you. Um, so keep doing the great work that you've been doing for the last few years. Thank you. Thanks both. Okay. Thanks, uh, Royce. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, everybody. Thank you all for listening. From Studio B. We'll see, from Studio B and Teachers College on 120th Street in Manhattan, New York. So thanks, Joe. Good show. Yep. See, you, yep. see everybody yep. next time.